you're listening to an episode of the Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life podcast with your host, Kim Olver. This is Kim, and welcome to the 141st episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. If you liked today's episode, be sure to leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and share with your friends on social media. Just don't forget to tag me at Olver International. Today, I'm excited to interview a young woman I met in Raleigh, North Carolina, and I believe it was 2017. She'd been in the military and was looking for some information on psychotropic medication. And has she ever taken a journey since then? I'm so excited to introduce you to Angela. Angela Peacock is an MSW, a female combat veteran, a psychiatric drug withdrawal consultant, a writer, and a YouTube creator. She travels in her camper van across the United States with her service dog, Raider, to improve the mental health care system for veterans and civilians alike. Some of Angela's commendations include Veterans of Foreign Wars, Legislative Fellow, Wounded Warrior Project Courage Award recipient, and a finalist for Student Veteran of the Year with Student Veterans of America. Her story of over-medication after trauma appears in the film Medicating Normal, which was put out in 2020. During the past three years, she spearheaded the outreach of the film, hosting community screenings across the world, and she's created a safe container for members of the audience to critically think about our modern mental health industry, informed consent, and psychiatric drug use and withdrawal. Welcome, Angela, and thank you so much for agreeing to be with us today. Thank you so much for having me, Kim. I'm excited. Oh, me too. I'm excited to dive right in. So can you tell us how you first came in contact with the mental health care system? Oh, boy. Uh, There was a little bit of bouncing in and out when I was younger. My parents went through a pretty rough divorce, and I think that was my first introduction to therapy. And I remember going to group counseling, and my whole family was there. And, you know, it wasn't as serious you know, go at it, I guess you could say. Uh, Then I joined the military and I deployed in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom to Baghdad, Iraq in 2003. I went through tons of trauma, daily trauma. I also got sick over there and I was medically evacuated out. And then I was bristly and feverishly rushed right into the mental health care system and told I had post-traumatic stress. And I was medicated for 13 years after that. Wow. Wow. I noticed you say post-traumatic stress and not post-traumatic stress disorder. Is that something we have in common? I left the D off on purpose because, I mean, and it took me many years to come to that, but just that, wait a minute, I reacted normally to trauma. That wasn't a disorder. I reacted exactly how I should have reacted. I'm 100% behind that. I hate the use of the D on post-traumatic stress disorder because it isn't that. So I'm happy to hear another professional who is doing the same. So thanks for that. Yeah, of course. So 13 years of poison in your body. Oh, yeah. How did you begin to heal from that? That's a really good question. I would say it started kind of slowly, but when I first was put on the medication, I remember thinking, like, what is this? Did I catch some kind of brain disease? Like, that's the way that it kind of been explained to me. Like, here's a pamphlet of information you need to read about post-traumatic stress. They use the D. And so I would read it and like, oh, is that what I have? Oh, no. It's like I have this brain disorder now and I have to take these medications and I'm supposed to take them for the rest of my life and my life is never going to be the same. So sometimes those messages were given to me implicitly, sometimes explicitly, but I swallowed them whole and just 
did what I was told. I took the meds. And then pretty quickly, within two years, the polypharmacy, which means they were giving me more and more and here, treat this symptom. And now you have anxiety. Now we got to treat the anxiety. Oh, now you can't sleep. Now we got to treat the you can't sleep. Oh, you got headaches and you got stomach issues. You know, all these things started to compound. And I don't even know who I am anymore. Like what is happening to my body? So at that point, I was prescribed 18 at the same time within two years of entering the mental health system. Right. And, you know, everybody cheers that veterans have really good access to healthcare. To me, that was the worst thing ever. That's what got me on so many medications was all that nice, fancy access to healthcare. So in, in 2006 is when I started questioning, wait a minute, if I'm on all this medication, why don't I feel good? I should be living my life and being happy and not being haunted by nightmares and not being feeling like the trauma is still here. I don't understand what's going on. So at that point, I met a psychiatrist in the VA system who said, you know, who put you on all this? And I was like, well, both civilians and VA, they'd like co-written together. Like, this is fine. And he said, um, if I can get you off a bunch of them tonight, will you check into the hospital? And I said, sure. So that began the journey of tapering that took me another 10 years to get off of everything else and to like, like let go of the disease label and let go of like medication is going to solve my problems for everything. Along the way, there's even there's there was other things like little voice that said to me, like, who are you? What's what's a symptom? What's a side effect? Who am I? What are my real feelings? You know, another time I remember really clearly going to a therapist and I was sitting outside on the curb waiting for my appointment. And I remember thinking, why does it feel like I can't quite touch my life? Like there's a wall in between me and the world. Like, what is that? Where did that wall come from? I didn't recognize at the time it was the medication. I know that now after coming off of all of them. But uh, there's just these little moments throughout those years. Like, what is going on here? And it wasn't until the very last drug that I tapered that almost killed me that I realized, oh, my God, I should have never been put on this crap in the first place. It made everything worse. It made all my trauma present. It never let me integrate anything. All those years of therapy was a waste. You know, this is how I've come to to feel about my experience in the system. And then it took another seven years to get to where I am now, which I would say I'm like maybe 80% healed. But it's been a very, very long journey, about 20 years altogether, either being on medication, coming off the medication or healing from the medication, 20 years. Wow, Angela, I don't know how you actually lived through all of that. that I don't either. <laughs> talk about a whole new level of trauma, right? You have your original yeah. trauma, and then you have the, the so-called treatment for that trauma that yes. only re-traumatized you. Or what do you recommend as a protocol for coming off medication? Because I've heard 10% per month per medication. So if you're on 18 different medications and it takes you you know, 10 months to come off of each one, you're talking 180 months. Is is that the protocol that you used or is there something? No, else? I did everything I shouldn't have done. And I'm, I hope that everybody listening can learn from my experience. The first thing I did wrong was I let the power of my taper speed and method be given to me by the medical profession who does not have a clue what they're doing when it takes to when it comes to deprescribing de- people off psychiatric drugs. So many of the drugs I was like antipsychotics, I think I was cold turkeyed off like three different ones. Other times it was I was off in a month and a half, you know, and then this is what would happen. I would get worsening symptoms you know, and now my nightmares would be worse or my panic would be worse. And then that would be perceived that, see, that's your mental illness. Now you need to be on another medication. So that's why it took me so long because they would take me off one the wrong way and then put me on something else to patch the hole into the Titanic. When if I would have just been given like a reasonable amount of time to slowly taper off, you know, 10 months or whatever, it's definitely not an overnight process. I think I would have been more successful and I would have come off quicker Honest to God, the prevailing advice out there, it's so individual that you should be afraid of any protocol. 
protocol type thing. What I recommend to people, you know, knowing what I know now, which I would have wish I would have known before, when you first consider coming off a of medication, do all the reading you can possibly read. Watch all the videos you can possibly read. Read all the books. You and I have a lot of books in common that we love, like Robert Whitaker's Anatomy of an Epidemic, Dr. Peter Bregan's book, Your Drug May Be Your Problem. Those would be like the top two I would recommend if you can read, because a lot of people on psych drugs can't even read because their cognitive has been affected. Read as much as you can. And then take a holistic approach. So work on your diet. You're going to have to learn how to sleep without medication. How are you going to cope with the emotional aspects? What kind of peers are in your life to help you through the rough process of coming off? How do you conceptualize your disorder? Do you believe that you even have a disorder? You know, if you're diagnosed with bipolar, what does that mean? There's all these things that need to be taken in consideration. And then usually it's like the most stimulating drug first. So like stimulants, uh, antidepressants, SNRIs, things that are more stimulating that keep you moving. Those come off first usually. And then people choose to taper the slower ones later. It's a rough journey. It's very individual. It's very much listening to your body and what speed should I slow down? When should I make the next cut? Does this feel good? You know, it's very intuitive and I hope it stays out of the hands of the professionals because they just rush people too quickly. Yeah, that's what I've heard. You go to your regular doctor and ask to be taken off meds. It just goes way too fast. And then my understanding from reading those books that that you shared, as well as I have a good friend, Dr. Terry Lynch, who wrote a book called The Depression Delusion. Yes. And that book talks about when you come off too fast, the increased symptoms is not about any disorder. It's about a withdrawal effect. Yes. So you, your body has needed this medication and now it doesn't have it. So now it's going to look like what they told you you were like when they first put you on the drug exactly. that you really didn't have an imbalance for. So it's exactly. it's a little bit crazy if that doesn't make any sense to the people listening. Read The Depression Delusion by Dr. Terry Lynch. Yeah. Um, he says, my favorite line in that whole book, he said, yeah, sure. Uh, antidepressants help you feel better. They're drugs designed to help you feel better. But so is heroin. And if yeah. you take heroin, <laughs> it doesn't mean you have a heroin deficiency. No. So why do you think that when you take an SSRI, it means you have a serotonin deficiency? It doesn't. It just it means doesn't. that this is a drug that's going to help you feel better. Now that you're 80% healed, what do you do now, Angela? I actually coach people through this process, believe it or not. I, I earned my MSW. I watched what they teach. I almost felt like a double agent at times. Like I'm a patient yeah. who, who who was in the system at the time who was coming off meds. And, you know, that's extremely stigmatizing to say that you've been diagnosed with multiple mental illnesses, quote unquote, and now you come off the meds and you're living without meds and actually the meds hurt you. Like that is super stigmatizing. So I learned very quickly, don't talk about that in my program. But I watched, you know, what what are we learning? What are we what do we know about mental distress or whatever you want to call it? Um, what are they teaching these these new professionals coming out? And I just found it so horrifying. I'm like, I cannot work in this system. I cannot participate in any of this. I'm gonna use what I learn for good as much as I possibly can. People find me, you know, from either the film Medicaid Normal or from my YouTube channel, because I've posted my whole journey. Every six months I would do a video about my journey so you can see how I changed and how I healed through all the years. Uh, and so people find me and we talk about like 
tapering. I give them good resources. I help educate them on like, these are the decision points that you have that you have to come to your own decision. I can't tell you what to do. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a therapist. But these are the different decisions you need to think about when you're coming off or different taper methods or different tapered speeds. And this is how to listen to your body. And so I help people through that whole process. And then I watch them heal. It's beautiful. It's amazing. The the strength of the, you know, and resilience of the human spirit that you can be diagnosed with like severe, severe quote unquote things, people heal. They learn a new way to be with their distress and they heal from all kinds of things that the mental health system would just throw them away for. So that's kind of what I do now. Yeah. That's awesome. I just love that. Part of my program called Mental Freedom is about helping people develop opportunities out of their pain. And you have done that. You have taken the most painful thing you've ever been through and you are now reaching your hand behind you to take the hand of someone who needs it and help shine the light to help them through that process. I think that is so admirable and inspiring. And thank you for doing that. I feel lots of gratitude in my heart for you. If you could be queen of the mental health system, oh my gosh. Uh, what kind of changes do you think you would make in the current mental health paradigm? Is it politically correct to say I would like just get away with it? I mean, it's terrible. Would you blow it up and start blow all over it up. again. I didn't want to say anything violent because that might be seen as my, you know, oh. thoughts or Okay, well, you know, I, I'm a pacifist, so I can there say it. People know you can I don't say really it. Okay, mean. yeah, I think it needs to be torn down from the ground up because uh, there's so many conflicts of interest. It just just the basic assumption that like if you're feeling anything other than quote unquote normal, I keep saying the quotes, or you're not like happy and just loving everything about your life, that there's something wrong with you. No, I don't believe that basic <laughs> assumption. No. Who do you know that's happy every minute? Uh, nobody. Nobody. Right, nobody. In fact, in fact, yesterday, it's funny. We we're talking about this. Yesterday, I was watching TikTok and there was a girl on there and she's like, you guys, did you know there's people that have like no mental health problems and no substance abuse problems? And she's like, can you believe it? And I was like, no, there's not. There's not. Those people don't <laughs> exist. No, it just depends who you tell that to. You know, maybe there's people that have that. They just don't tell a psychiatrist so they don't get a diagnosis. But no, there's probably a diagnosis for everyone in the DSM at, at somewhere. So uh, I think the whole basic assumption that people have something wrong with them is just completely false. The anxiety in your life is trying to tell you something. You should listen to it. Don't try to medicate it away. The fact that you were traumatized, it could be domestic violence or a bad marriage or a a job, a boss that's a bully and a racist. You know, those are valid reasons why you're feeling the way you're feeling. Even when I did my uh, therapy rotation, because I learned how to be a therapist, but I, you know, I don't want to be, but every single person that I saw each one of them had a valid reason why they felt the way they felt. It wasn't a mystery to me. I never, it never once crossed my mind. Like I need to give them a diagnosis and send them to a psychiatrist. No, just listen to them. They tell you where their pain is coming from. We choose to either feel that or not. And some of us, it is hard for me to say sometimes, but sometimes like when there's a death of a loved one and people can't sleep, they need a couple days of medicine or something to like get them through it. You know, I could argue drink some wine. I don't know. It's my, it might be safer. Some sleepless nights. It's okay. Yeah. It won't kill be okay with the grief, right? To have like a two-week limit on that, according to our system, that if you're grieving past two weeks, then you need to, you have underlying major depression that needs to be medicated. That is to me just a crime against humanity. I burn it all down. The only thing, the only thing good about it, I will say, is that there's dedicated people to to listen to you. However, most of them are completely I haven't seen a whole lot of great therapists out there. I'm just saying, like I trained with them. I 
have gone to more than 10 in my lifetime. It's always hit or miss. And it's like what their understanding of human distress is that they're going to see me through. So yes, we need people to listen to us and we need friends and we need chaplains and we need pastors and we need family members that are capable of listening. But I don't think that should be in the hands of only professionals that have the power to diagnose and medicate. So the whole thing needs to yeah blow up. <laughs> are you familiar with the group called Drop the Disorder? Yes. I, I go to their stuff all the time. Yeah. 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 I love them. And one of their main premises is we need to stop asking what's wrong with you and start asking what's happened, happened to you. To you. Yeah. yeah. It really makes a lot more sense. Most mental and emotional distress is caused by some outside event or trauma. So find out what that is and you understand why people are doing or behaving the way that they're behaving and you can help them find more normative maybe ways of dealing with those things so that they don't have the stigma of a mental health disorder. I mean, even saying the word disorder is just like a slur. It's it's really like a slur. It's labeling people and putting them in a, a little box. And I know that there are some people who are very relieved to get their mental health disorder label because that gives them a reason for, oh, so that's what's wrong. Now, as long as I take this medicine, I'll be normal for the rest of my life. But that's not usually how it works. It's not what happens. So you develop a tolerance and then you need more and then the app pill stops working. So instead of taking you off of that, they just add another one. And I don't have to tell you, you've you've had 18 added at one time. I can't even imagine. And this is what I see and what I've learned for myself. It really, me being medicated at the time I was medicated for the reason I was medicated, it genuinely robbed me of a healing process. It kicked the can down the road to where here I am all these years later. And guess what? My problems are still there. I still have to cope with being a human being. I still have these feelings. And now I have the added trauma for people in the audience. If you get a chance, go watch the film Medicating Normal. Because in the film, I say, you know, for 13 years, I couldn't even feel the grief of losing people that I loved in war. And now I have to feel this now, 13 years later. Like that's not treatment or health. So even like the clients I see now, when you're coming off psychiatric drugs, you have to learn all the things that we should have learned in the first place, like breathing, like feeling our feelings, like talking about the hard things, like being okay with discomfort. It's not a free pass. You know, you just kick the can down the road and then there it is when you come off. Yeah. It's just a delay. Yeah. You and I both know that there's a lot of people out there who are suffering with some kind of distress. Mm -hmm. How do you help them be more informed and be more in charge of their own treatment? Because you know, you talked about people in the mental health profession listening. But unfortunately, once you have a mental health disorder label, you really don't get listened to very much. It's almost like you get patted on the head and sat in the corner and the professionals will tell you what you need because you're not trusted to know Mm -hmm. what's best for yourself. So how do you help people in distress become more informed? I think step one for everyone is to read the pamphlet that comes with the drug that you have been prescribed. So how to find that is you just go to Google and you put FDA pamphlet and then put the drug name. So that's a, such an easy step. Just pull it up and read it. Read as much as you can. Understand as much as you can. There's there's spots you won't understand. That's number one. Number two, I would say, you know, if, it depends if you're on the meds or not. Look into alternatives. Look for people to talk to that love you, that are, are capable of loving you. So maybe it's not somebody in your own family. Maybe you have to go to a certain healer or a community acupuncture clinic that has free or reduced acupuncture. You know, there's tons of like you 
YouTube meditation and YouTube yoga and stuff like that, just to like learn how to be in your body with all these complex emotions and feelings. I, I really do think mental health is health. It's not just, you know, I have this mental health over here and physical health over here. It's all connected. It's all about like, how do you feel emotions, be okay with them, do something about them when it needs to change? Like choice theory, do I have the power to change my situation to alleviate what I'm feeling? Like if I have a crappy job, maybe I don't need a sleeping pill. I need to find another job, you know? So there's all these all these things that it, it's a very personal, individualized journey. But just start following that intuition. Like, what do I need? What do I want? What is happening in my life? Look around. It's not hard to find. Right. I love that. That's how choice theory and reality therapy start with, what do you want? Mm-hmm. And And I like to ask, who do you want to be? Because mm-hmm. who you want to be is someone you can create. Mm-hmm. You just have to know who you are, where you're starting, and then build the person that you want to be, grow yourself into the person that you want to be. And you could be anybody. I mm-hmm. look at you, where you started and where you are, and it's nothing short of miraculous. I agree. It really agree. is amazing. These hard things that happen to us are opportunities, kind of like you said earlier, like the universe will knock on your door. And for me, that was in 2006, like, hey, Angie, you're on 18 meds. Why aren't you feeling great? You know, and then all the whispers along the way, and then the universe drops dropped an atom bomb on my house and blew everything to the ground, you know, and then when you're at the bottom looking up, you have to rebuild. And it is true. I always thought it was woo woo. Like, I can't build my own life. Most of this is like, you know, happening to me. No, like when everything is taken from you and you're at the bottom and you don't even know what's you anymore because you've been medicated for 13 years, like you have no choice but to rebuild. And so I'm I'm happy that I stuck it out. There was many times I, I almost died. Uh, I almost killed myself. Just the toxicity from the meds was horrific. I'm not an exception to the rule. I'm not different than anyone. I see clients all the time change right before my very eyes. It's the only reason I do this work because I like watching that. You know, I like being that sacred witness to people changing their whole yeah. life from the bottom up and re conceptualizing who they are. It's a beautiful thing. And it's something that our mental health system does not allow. Right. It's not about that. It's opposite of that. I think that that's true, unfortunately. And I'm part of that system myself. I'm a counselor. But as I told you before we started, I'm not doing a lot of counseling anymore. I do mostly coaching because I find much more hope in coaching. I find people are really willing to not sit in a a victimhood or or sit in in their labels. Mm -hmm. And they're willing to do the work that they need to do to get out of there. So I think that we're kindred spirits. I do. I agree with you on that 100%. We're coming to the end of our time. And I just want to ask you if there's anything you'd like to add that I haven't already asked you before we go to the close. No, that was great. It was a great discussion. Quick, but great. Do you have anything coming up that you'd like to tell the audience about? Do you have any talks? Are you writing a book? What are you doing that that people yeah. want to know about? I think I think right now I'm I'm interviewing. I I did a lot of interviews for Medicating Normal, and then when I left that to do this on my own, uh, I kind of missed talking to people like you and I are doing now. So there is a series of interviews going up on my YouTube channel right now. If you just look for Angie Peacock, you can find that. Also, my website AngiePeacock.com. I want to do some in-person workshops. I'm probably going to do one in Sedona, Arizona, in January. And then later, I'm not Santa Fe, New Mexico, probably in the spring. So I would just say, you know, check that out. Uh, I love in-person gatherings. So if you have an idea for one, let me know. And other than that, right now, I'm just doing individual and we have a small protracted withdrawal support group for people that have been off meds two or more years. So a lot of good things coming though. That sounds amazing and very well needed. 
So if people would like to reach you to get any more information, I know you mentioned your website and I also have at being human RV. Is that on Instagram or YouTube or both? Yeah. So my business side is the angiepeacock.com or if you search me just by Angie Peacock, you can find me. And then my healing side, like me just being a human being is and following my van life life, whatever you want to call that, uh, that's the Instagram, YouTube and Facebook. It's under at being human RV. And obviously from the name, it's kind of like when all is said and done, I'm a human being and I have to feel it all, the good, the bad, the suffering, the beautiful, the awe, all of it. So I kind of put that on my my own personal YouTube channel. I absolutely love it. I can't even tell you how much I appreciate you joining us today. And I know that I'm going to want to talk to you again because I'm still following that healing process and I want to see you get to 100% and knowing you, I think you'll be at 150 before too long because 100 won't be good enough for you. No, not enough. I want it all. I want it all. I I say that healing is not part a part time job for me. I want all of it. I deserve all of it. I have suffered enough. I want the best life anybody has ever lived. (laughs) And and then some. So I love talking with people who are passionate about helping others and who have lived experience that they can draw from and really do some good in the world and help other people. And that describes you 100. So thank you so much. What you're doing is so important and very, very needed. Thank you, Kim, so much. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and remember to leave a review and share with your connections on social media. I also hope you'll join me next week when I'll be interviewing Shaker Fadger about her approach to mental health. I'm looking forward to it. Talk with you then. This has been another thought-provoking episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. To listen to past episodes, please visit our website at lifeequalschoices.com or listen wherever you download your podcast. And don't forget, remember to subscribe.